Hey everyone, welcome to Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Brie Marie from livingbrilliant.com. I'm a blogger, online course creator, a mindset and success strategist, and now a podcast host. This podcast is all about how our mindset creates the reality of every aspect of our lives, from money, to relationships, to careers, to entrepreneurship, and even our health and wellness. I know firsthand just how powerful our mindset is, and just how easy it can be to get lost in the complexities of life. Through my own journeys with anxiety, a tough career transition, building a blog from scratch, and a super shaky start with online entrepreneurship, I've been able to connect with experts, coaches, entrepreneurs, and other bloggers from all around the world who are now excited to share their transformational stories and mindset shifts with you. So let's jump in. Welcome back to another episode of Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life. I'm so excited for this week's guest. Her name is Sharon Saylor, and she has been a body language expert for a long time. I think she said 20 years. I know more than 10. Um, I didn't write that in my notes and I'm sad about it now, but she is a speaker, a trainer, an author, a body language and mindset expert. Uh, She's absolutely amazing. I met her through Facebook and we scheduled a call and we ended up talking for, I think, almost an hour (laughs) Um, the first time we talked and she's just absolutely amazing. She's really, really impressed me. Um, and she just has so much insight on body language. And I know a lot of the times, like for me, when I first started talking to her, I was like, you know, I know a little bit about body language and like eye contact and crossing your arms. And she will confirm a lot of those things. Like those are all true statements. Like crossing your arms means that you are closed off. If you don't make eye contact, maybe that person is lying or they're insecure or ashamed or whatever. But in this episode, she gives us some small tweaks and changes that are really going to make a bigger impact with how you communicate. So whether you are in leadership or relationship or in communication with your team or being seen as, as a leader, it's really going to give you insight into why your team or your partner or whoever your your client is behaving the way that they do. So her way of communicating body language is also in making sure that the person or the persons that you're communicating with feel safe. And sometimes like our body language, right, we want to make sure that the person feels comfortable in communicating how they really feel to us. So I'm not going to waste any time getting into my own, like, I know I do a little bit of catch up in the introductions, but I don't want to go too far into it because I want this the whole time to be Sharon. Um, however, I will say one thing this Thursday at 2.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I'm going to be doing a training in my Facebook group, the Growth Mindset Tribe, 
um, about Pinterest and how I utilize Pinterest to grow my blog. I did this training twice last week and it was super successful. I loved, loved, loved doing it. And I got a couple of requests for people who weren't in the groups that I did them um, in that they wanted to do, wanted to like me to do it again. So I was like, okay, sure. I'll do it in my own Facebook group. So if you're not part of my Facebook group, um, there will be a link down in the description below where you will find all of Sharon's links. Also, she, like I said, she's a published author. So I'm going to include her links for her website and her Amazon, um, link for, for the books that she's written along with all of her social media links. And then you'll also find my links where you can click to join um, my group for the Pinterest training on Thursday, this Thursday at 2.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I don't even know which date that is. It's the 6th, December 6th. So I will be doing it. If you can't catch the live, um, it's going to be saved in the video. So you can click into the video section and then the, the training will be there. I'm also doing a free workbook that I will be part of the training. So you can definitely sign up for that and grab that. And then I'll also send you my notes from that training as well. So like I said, I don't want to keep chit-chatting away. As you guys know, I can easily ramble. I want to jump into this interview because it was just so amazing. All right. I will talk to you guys on Friday with a new episode of the mindset tip trick shift whatever we're gonna call it still don't have a name and I hope you guys enjoy this episode let me know send me an email at info at com. what your thoughts were I'd love to hear with hear from you or tag me in your Instagram if you're listening to the episode at all right I'll talk to you guys later love you bye good shannon and i both have the sniffles <laughs> um it's just we in california i don't i don't know you said you're in oregon yes and we're getting the smoke up here too yeah we are having a saint anna so it's like high winds dry really cold in the mornings at night in that night but then like it gets to be like in the 80s during the day so it's a little bit of a crazy weather situation we have going on <laughs> It is. It's unusual for this late in the year. It is. Um, but it is what it is. So Sharon is a speaker, trainer, author, and body language and mindset expert. And Sharon, tell us a little bit more about what you do because you did an excellent job of explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I guess I've been doing it for so long. It comes natural. I help people have courageous conversations this comes out of my own pain and my own fear and my own experience. When so many times I was very loose with boundaries in the early days, I was very letting people what, you know, you might air quote, say walk all over me, or I always felt I was walking and talking on eggshells. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you begin to learn so much about what you need to know that all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're pretty good at it. So I also had an excellent mentor about 20 years ago who helped me understand what I call courageous conversations. And that's a combination of understanding how language impacts people as well as our body language. And that is really important to understand that 
body language changes the relationship quicker than what you say. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you about body language because I have limited, very limited knowledge on body language. And it's not like the way that we've discussed it is you kind of broke that typical mindset that we have about body language where I was like, oh yeah, it's like, you know, if your eyes are closed or you're not making eye contact or your arms are crossed, like it means that you're closed off or you're lying or whatever it is, but you have a different perspective where body language is actually about safety. Absolutely. And it's not about the other person, which people are going to think, what? I was taught to read the other person. Yeah. Reading doesn't work. It really doesn't because you have to have the pattern of the person. Perhaps they have a bum shoulder. So they always cross their arms like that because it relaxes their shoulder. But if you meet them in that situation and you're not aware of that, you're going, oh, that person's closed off to me. Well, you know, you've just lost an, maybe an important client or a great relationship because you jump to a conclusion. Really, the best thing to do, as I always say in most areas of life, is take care of yourself first. So take care of what your own body language is saying to make other people feel safe. And while you're making other people feel safe and they'll calm down, you begin to feel safe too. And some of the things you can do are be mindful. Am I approaching this with open body language? Am I approaching this with the intention to make people feel safe and that they matter. Yeah. So what would be an example of open body language? Well, first off, not crossing your arms. <laughs> or if you do have a bum shoulder, just excuse yourself. It's so amazing to me how many times people will not say the elephant in the room. I was giving a speech one time and afterwards a young man came up to me and he said he wanted to be a professional speaker. And I could tell from the use of language that he might have a hearing problem. Mm-hmm. And so he was talking to me a little bit more. And I finally said, what else are you wanting to know? And he said, I have hearing loss. Can I be a speaker? And I say, as long as you get up in front of the room and tell people you have a hearing loss and that's your thing. And that's why you're there. It's not that he has to talk on hearing loss, but just mention the elephant in the room and yeah. everybody then relaxes. So often people come in and they're trying to put on airs and be something they're not. And other people are reading that and going, hmm, something's incongruent here. I don't feel safe because I can't, my unconscious brain can't make sense of what's incongruent. So I'm just going to back out. That's interesting that you brought that up because I do think I talk a lot about like energy and like sometimes you can really tell when someone's being disingenuous. And I think maybe that's part of like that discrepancy between someone's body language and the message that they're actually speaking. Very true. And one of the things I want to point out when you said disingenuous is most people, but I want to put an asterisk there. If you're talking to a professional liar, it's very, very tough because they believe what they're saying. Mm, oh, that's scary. <laughs> yes, it is. What we're picking up on is that when you say disingenuous, what we're picking up on energetically or unconsciously is that disconnect about what they know they should be doing or saying and what is actually coming out of their mouth. And you're picking up on that energy, that disconnect with them. That's what you're picking up on. And what happens then is you're going huh, I don't know what it is, but I don't feel safe. So I'm going to protect myself. And whether you back out of the conversation or just 
close yourself off and become very stoic. Stoic is a form of fleeing too. You're staying in the conversation, but you're just going to get really clear. I'm going to get really clear here. I'm not going to be in the conversation. I'm just going to be dissecting that conversation the whole time. That's funny. Did you bring that up because I mentioned that in our early phone call? <laughs> the stoic because i i told sharon like I, we were ta- we did obviously did a pre-interview before this and i told her that for me when i'm in a conversation and someone is confronting me or they're like upset like what they could be like, they could be super emotional like angry sad yelling my first reaction is like i go stoic like i don't react at all my my facial expression just like is like flat like there's nothing else and I have like a very like I'm very I use my hands a lot like you can I have like life in my eyes type of thing and when someone like comes at me like my first initial reaction is just like shut it down like there's nothing there's nothing there so I was like asking her about that um and what that might read to other people well you know, a lot of people won't read it that you're protecting yourself. They'll read that you're stuck up. They'll read that you are into yourself. They'll read something's wrong with her. They'll read that you're introverted. It really just depends on what your thinking face does. But really, the last place people will go is, oh, my goodness, I have just been incongruent and set her fight or flight mechanism off. How do I make it safe for her again? Trust me, that's the last people place most people go. Yeah, I've been called cold, <laughs> um, especially in the workplace, because when I worked in corporate and there, I was working with a lot of men, um, it was like when they would get all like, oh, we got to do this, they would, I would just shut down. And they're like, oh, she's cold or like she's aloof. And I'm like, I'm not, or like emotionally disconnected. I'm like, no, like you're just getting way too emotional and I don't know how to like process that. <laughs> You didn't feel safe. And so you're protecting yourself. And I think that's important for people to know whether you're on the sending end of not allowing people to feel safe around you or you're on the receiving place. And all of us walk around regardless of who we are with a little radar in our brain circling around and asking two questions. The first one is, am I safe? And nowadays, you know, there's very few saber-toothed tigers chasing us. But in so many situations in this case with the man calling you different judgments, that doesn't make you feel safe because you like start to panic, like, oh my gosh, that's not the message I want to be sending. And then you start to oh, how what other message should I be sending? And that kicks off fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So the, and that's why I say a one way of kicking off fight or flight and fleeing is becoming stoic or going into that mindset, I'm just going to be really firm, I'm going to be really clear, I'm going to be really in charge so I don't look emotional. And then other people come up with a lot of judgments for you. One thing, I've been affectionately dubbed, it makes me laugh all the time, but I do understand why a lot of my clients call me the difficult people whisperer. And that's because we get to the meat of what is it, the nonverbals in the room. It could be besides body language too. It could be a lot of things um, that are causing people not to feel safe and causing conflict. Because when people don't feel safe, in your case, you go stoic. But a larger percentage of people lash out. And if you see conflict coming from nowhere, you're like, oh my gosh, where'd that come from? I've never seen Fred do that before. What, what's going on here? My first question I always ask is, did something just happen to make Fred not feel safe? 
Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it's in- it's funny because sometimes when I feel that people are closed off, like my friend, I'm sure a lot of people relate to this, is like my first thought is like, what did I do wrong? Like, is this person upset with me? Is Are they mad? But sometimes, I, like you were just saying, like something could have happened. They could have lost a client. Maybe a relationship just ended and it has nothing to do with you. It could feel like it's with you, though. I want to put that asterisk out there, too, because perhaps it was your tone of voice or something else that triggered them. Quick little story about me. If you look straight forward, have a pair of glasses on, and then drop your chin a little bit, drop your glasses to the end of your nose and look over your glasses, that will trigger me. Takes me right back to fifth grade. I had a fifth grade. Interesting. I had a fifth grade teacher who did that consistently whenever you cross the line, you got the look. Now, I am totally consciously aware of that now. So I will get that momentary like, ooh, and I go, no, she's not my fifth grade teacher. He's not my fifth grade teacher. <laughs> and I'm able to bring myself back really quick. Wow. That, I never for- even thought about that, something like that triggering me. Right. And it had nothing to do with the person who happened to look over the readers. I mean, I wear readers now because of my age and, you know, the eyes tend to (laughs) need readers after a while. But the problem with readers is it magnifies everything and it really is difficult to look far away or more than a few feet away. And so I tend to pull them at the end of my nose myself. And it could be anything like that that triggers someone. It, just the tone of voice. Or perhaps you just say something in passing, jokingly. Like, I had a client one time, the phrase, who do you think you are, set them back to, like, three and four years old when a very uh, domineering parent would uh, put them in their place, so to speak, that way. And it had nothing to do with anybody else in the room. That's so wild. I've never even thought about things like that. Like, I feel like I am self-aware, but I've never thought about body language being triggering. Oh, it's much more triggering than we think. Well, you also brought up that it's, that our nonverbal communication is at an unconscious level. For the most part. Subconscious. Yeah, it's for the most part. We take it all in on the unconscious level, and then we only search for things that are important to us. Am I safe? Do I matter? Do I want to engage with this person? Is this a great person to be a client? Do I want to make this person my friend? So we only search for those things in our unconscious brain that then comes to our subconscious and our conscious to work on. So the unconscious takes it all in, and then the subconscious and the conscious begin to filter out due to all sorts of things that we are not always consciously aware of why we're sorting. We do a lot of deletion and distortion Maybe we meet someone and their laugh just reminds us of our very, very best friend. And so all of a sudden we get a really warm affection for them. And after a friendship of a few weeks, you're like, well, why did I like this person in the first place? Because maybe as you get to know them, their values aren't the same as your best friend or whatever. But you were triggered because that laugh has such warm emotional connection for you. Interesting. So... One of the things, I mean, I talk about this pretty on pretty much every podcast, but I deal with anxiety. And sometimes I think my body language, like I fi- I'll fidget if I'm anxious or nervous. A lot of the times I play with my hair or like my hands, like I just have to like keep them moving. So what kind of like, what would be your suggestion 
of like one, what does that body language do for like another person that I'm communicating with? And two, how, I don't want to say fix it, but like, how do I kind of mitigate it, I guess? Well, I wouldn't say fix it or mitigate it. I would say be aware of it. Mm. Anxiety always has this, it's to me, it's a process or a set of steps. There is a trigger. Mm-hmm. And then there's your first reaction. In my case, when I have some anxiety, I feel a warmth. I feel sort of a flush go over me. That's one of the first things I feel. The next thing I begin to feel is my mind starts to race with a bunch of whatabouts and what ifs. Right. And then after that, I get to into this where it's almost a little light sweat. It's not a drippy sweat, but just I sort of feel that flush is getting more intense. And so what I've learned is when I notice that first flush, I replay the tape, what just happened? So I replay the videotape, what just happened that caused me to believe or feel anxiety? And a really great question to always ask yourself when something like that happens, not just anxiety, maybe something happens in the room and you're like, I don't know what that even to make of that, is what do I think, hear, see, or feel that led me to believe? Mm-hmm. And when you can talk yourself and notice those very first steps that cause anxiety, you're able to walk yourself back out, out of anxiety so you don't even begin to use the nonverbals of anxiety, such as people sometimes pick at their fingernails or they click their nails or they click a pin or they twirl their hair or play with jewelry. And once they're aware, okay, that's just me. I admit I have anxiety, but I am in control of my anxiety by noticing when I first feel those first few emotional remembrances of what anxiety feels like, start changing your breathing. Anxiety happens because we're breathing rapid high and, and not getting enough oxygen to our brain. So our body is running on cortisol. Right. The antidote to cortisol is oxygen. All we have to do is stop. Okay. I, I talk to myself in third person. Okay, Sharon, you're getting that flush of anxiety. Oh, that's right. That just happened. That was really embarrassing to me. I don't like to be embarrassed. Oh my gosh. It's okay. It's okay. The time has passed. Let the flush go. Continue to breathe deep, fully and completely all the way down to your belly. And you'd be amazed. Two or three breaths, deep breaths, extend the exhale because the exhale is where the body relaxes. Right. And the anxiety will pass. And it's easy to repeat. So you say, oh, Sharon, no, no, this was one of the big tens of life. Uh, the anxiety, it was so, you know, the anxiety is running over. Okay, that's fine. You caught yourself, you're twirling your hair, picking at your nail, fine. Stop, reset, take a nice deep breath and extend the exhale. And start over again. It's, it's so painless, easy, cheap, and nobody knows as you do it. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, breathing has been the one thing that I think has really helped me. Um, when I was going to cognitive behavioral therapy, my therapist taught me, I think it has a lot of different names. It's like the breathing techniques that the Navy SEALs use. It's, I think it's either box breathing, but the way that I was taught was the four, four, four. So inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four. 
I suggest four 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 seven or three three seven or something like that. Everybody has different capacities for breathing. Mm-hmm. If some people may say, but Sharon, that's the way I breathe nowadays. I'm stuck in fight or flight, which a huge percentage of the population I speak to have the fight or flight switch stuck on. So they don't even know what a deep breath feels or looks like anymore. So when we say those numbers, it's good, but I always say suggest to extend the exhale. So it would be four, four, seven, three, three, six, something like that, because the exhale and then pause at the end of the exhale. So it would be something like three, three, seven, three. Interesting. Because Um, it's that exhale and the pause where the body resets itself and the cortisol is able to drop. Exactly. That's all we're trying to do is shift the chemistry of the body. That's all we're trying to do. Yeah, that's exactly how my therapist explained it. Um, There's actually a really cool app on, if you, I think it's available if you have um, an Android. It's also obviously on the iTunes store. It's called the Calm app, C-A-L-M. And it's a meditation app, but they actually have this really cool feature where it's like the, it's like a circle and then it tells you when to inhale, exhale and, or yeah, inhale, hold and exhale, exhale. And you can actually adjust it yourself to like fit what your, if it's like you were saying three, three, seven or Four, four, four. So you can actually adjust it to be within your own range. And that has helped me so much, especially in like moments where I'm like, oh, I'm getting a little anxious and like I'm out and about and I just need to like reset myself really quick. It, that's been super helpful for me. And part of that app, what the genius of that app and other meditation apps are, is it has a visual. You're looking at the mm-hmm. circle. Exactly. The visual takes your mind away from what just happened. And so even if you don't have that app or you don't have your phone with you at the moment, you can create a visual in your mind of what I say, going to your happy place. Right. Mine happens to be a spot on the Oregon coast that I just, every chance I get to regroup or unwind, I'm down there. But it's so the sunsets are in my mind that I'm just able to go, okay, okay, Sharon, in this meeting, pulling out my phone right now is not going to be the best thing. (laughs) That's not going to look good. Right. So I just create that visual in my mind, whether it's recreating the circle in the app in your mind, or it's bringing yourself to that happy place for just a moment. As you breathe into that sunset, or you breathe into that visual that you remember the app looks like, you're able to reset and regroup. Now, if the anxiety is so bad, this is like the ones of life. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't think you're going to survive this kind of anxiety, which does happen. Now, excuse yourself, go into the restroom and wash your hands in very cold water. Yeah. Cold always does it for me. I naturally run hot. <laughs> so like cold, like if I can like get an, like an ice cube or like something cold, like in anywhere near my body, I'm like golden. Yeah. Cold is great. I've had a few people say, no, no, I like really hot water. That's okay. You know yourself. Play right. with the concepts that Bree and I are sharing. These are not, these are contextually correct, but they're, everybody's different. Everybody's on a scale. Mm-hmm. And one person's, you know, minimal anxiety would be another person's big, big number one anxiety of life. So yeah. I suggest you just play with some of these things that we're sharing. And I love the word play because that's all it is. 
if we take ourselves too seriously, we'll start the anxiety and the safety loop again. <laughs> so yeah, like, I like the word experiment. Like I'm yeah. always like, that's for me, like really helpful. It's the same, like for me, I associate like experiment with play. So I'm like, oh, I get to like experiment with like things that work for me and like try different things out and see like what works. And I'm like a nerd, like I will document these things <laughs> like in spreadsheets and stuff of like what actually worked. And that's fun for me. Maybe it's not fun for other people, but for me, it, it's fun. So now, I'm not a worksheet person. That's not my thing. And this is really important to point out that, it, you know, that's great. It works for you. Awesome. And I'm going to share a tip that I like because somebody else might go, yeah, I'm not a worksheet person either. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure some of your audience is going, oh, yeah, get my worksheet out. That's awesome. Another tip is it, to journal. And I always journal on the right-hand side of my journal, leave the left-hand side blank. And then I come back a week or two, a month or two later, read what I wrote, and then realize, oh my gosh, that's a pattern, or oh my gosh, that changed, or oh my gosh, that wasn't fatal, <laughs> whatever, my, whatever I wrote. And then I write on the left-hand side at this second reading, or third or fourth reading, what's changed? What insights do I have now a month later that I did not have a month ago? And it's profound, very quickly causes change work because you're able to see your patterns. We all have patterns. I'm just so glad you brought that up because I, whenever I tell people to journal and I hear other people say like journaling's so great, but I'm like, I don't, they never, they never talk about the patterns. And that's exactly what journaling for me has done, especially when I was really going through the thick of my anxiety was it helped me understand what my triggers were and exactly which triggers then associate to patterns. Um, and so that's exactly what journaling done for, did for me. It's not so much about like, oh, I just want to like write about my feelings and like, you know, let it all out, which it does do that, but it also helps you understand those patterns. And I've never heard of, <clears throat> sorry, of the coming back to it a couple of weeks later and writing on the left-hand side of the It's journal. critically important to that concept, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And this too shall pass is very non-judgmental. The, the pain will pass and the joy will pass. The happiness will pass and, you know, neutral will come back and whatever. It's just p- critically important for you and each individual to understand what their patterns are. And yeah. that, it really helps. Another thing that really helps that a lot of people don't listen to, they, they want to respond very quickly, is your friends know you quite well. Even if you're like, oh, she doesn't know me at all. There are a lot of things that you're externally broadcasting with your nonverbals that people see about you and your close friends. And I have two set types of close friends. I have certain close friends that I love and adore, absolutely. And I know that they will always tell me that I never look fat in those pants. That's just the way they are. They're, nothing ever bad comes out of their mouth. They'll just always, <laughs> you know, be yeah. lovely, lovely, lovely. And I adore them. And there are certain times I, I definitely want to hang with them. But I have other friends who are so blunt yes Sharon do not wear those pants that's okay I love those too when you're with those friends that are like that and they are trying to warn you or tell you something if you hear out of your mouth you just don't understand that's your signal to stop and go be quiet and say tell me more because they're seeing something that you are not seeing, whether it's because you have a blinders on, you have a beliefs, you have a trigger, mm-hmm. whatever it is, they're seeing something 
that you're not able to see. So I think a lot of us can relate when we've said something similar to our friends, but you just don't understand. He's a nice guy. He's cute. You just don't understand. I want to date him. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. Your friends are seeing the nonverbals that you're not able to see. That's interesting because I feel like most of the times people that I know, if you are critiquing or you're more blunt, especially when it comes to like a guy that they're dating, it's like, you know, I'm really hesitant about sharing my opinions about the about guys my friends are dating because I'm like, oh, I don't want to like rock the boat. Um, but usually, yeah, it's interesting because your friends will kind of pick up on on things at a different level capacity than than you you would. I personally like to surround my myself with people who are a little bit more direct and like aren't afraid to tell me no um, because I feel like I'm learning something um, rather than just being around people who are kind of like, yeah, yeah, do that, do that. <laughs> like, it, it, that, only that only happens in a really safe relationship. Mm. When you are so safe with your friends that you know that this relationship when it comes from the heart this isn't about being mean or angry or jealous or downplaying somebody just because you don't like the color of their eyes or whatever it is this is when you tell your friends you're seeing something they're not seeing maybe you're seeing that the other person is acting very passive aggressive or when you're out of the room they're saying terrible things or you know there's a lot of times people you know we when we first meet someone we want to think the best of them and I always say anybody can appear normal for a few minutes so whenever you hear someone else telling you something you don't have to take it lock stock and barrel but just put it in that isn't that interesting file let me see if I can either find more evidence or or it's not true yeah that's interesting that's such well I'd like to know your thoughts on passive aggressive behavior. Oh, don't do it. That's my thought. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, no. But when you see someone else doing it. Call, uh, it depends on how close you are to the relationship. Uh, you know, it depends on what you want out of the relationship. If it's a one-off thing, just never see the person again. If it's a close relationship, someone you're close to, depends on how long you've allowed it to go on. There's a lot of depends here because... Um, if you've allowed it to go on a long time, they're going to be totally shocked when you call them on it. Mm. But you never really call somebody out on anything they do because this idea of when, when you do this, I feel this way, that's not fair. It's really not fair. Give them the benefit of the doubt and just say, it could be like, I don't want, I'm not going to play that game any longer and they'll go what game and this is i'm only going to talk in this format from now on and it's what you're going to do and being direct but it's not like saying when you uh, when i'm in the shower you turn on the washer that's passive aggressive and i'm not going to play that game anymore well that's true that's maybe what they're doing but you you have to take ownership of how you're feeling and that you've allowed the passive aggressive behavior to continue and if they refuse to change their behavior based on evidence, you know, it's up to you whether you want to stay in the relationship or not. It's really not about them. It's you can't fix other people. And I think right. a lot of people try to fix the other person. 
It's all about what can I do? This is not how I want to be treated. This is not how I deserve to be treated. This is not how I am going to be treated from now on. What decisions do I have to make to change it? And it's not really about the other person. Understand the idea of are you angry at or are you angry that? That's critically important to know. Sarah Payton from Your Resident Self, that's one of her concepts that just radically profoundly changed my world. When I understood, are you angry at that person for behaving passive aggressively? Or are you angry that there's passive aggression happening right now? And see, those are two different ways of looking at what's happening to you. One, you have complete control over. The other is just anger and aggression at somebody else. That's like, I, I'm going to have to like marinate with that. I thought for a while because that is really oh, like mind blowing. It is. Are you angry at? Most often has a bit of aggression to it. Even if, they're, if you're angry, somebody's being aggressive to you. There's still aggression from your side too. Are you right. angry at? Or are you angry that? And when you stop and look at the two, it sounds so subtle, but pro it's absolutely profound when you begin to look at the places where you're angry. Because angry is actually a healing mechanism. It's a self-protection me mechanism. It's a self-esteem mechanism. It, it's a protection mechanism. We need it. So many times people say, oh, I'm going to go to counseling and never be angry anymore. And I'm like, yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> anger is a protection mechanism. Learn the difference between are you angry at or are you angry that. Learn the difference between anger and aggression. Learn the difference between anger and bullying. Learn the difference between anger and passive aggressive. They're very different things, although many people generically just use the word anger. Interesting. Yeah, like I said, I'm going to have to marinate on that because that's... Oh, please do. It's profound really intense I'm not a very angry person like I it takes a lot to get my feathers ruffled um but when I do get angry it's like it's intense like I'm like oh this like that really like set me off um but, but yeah, are you angry at that person for setting you off or the the situation for setting you off or are you angry that that happened and you allowed yourself to be set up because you didn't set a boundary you didn't do this you didn't do that I'm I usually the, the, la the latter I usually get upset at myself first like that's what really sets me off like I really get I'm like if someone crosses me it's more about the fact that I allowed it to happen but then you're angry at yourself not exactly. angry that it happened it's very different that in this situation, we go going back to, I'm not just angry at that person for triggering me or doing whatever they did. I am angry at myself. And that's where this kind of anger has been shown to actually cause physical symptoms in the body because it activates all the fight or flight chemicals to get stuck places. So you, if, if that's allowed to continue for a long period of time, which I know you're so conscious and cognizant of it that you continue to improve and that's the big thing is if you catch it and continue to improve continue to change continue to add more tools to your toolbox but some people just get stuck and marinate in that anger in certain parts of their body have you ever met someone who says well you know old joe he's just a pain in the rear or susan's a pain in the neck 
And then all of a sudden you start noticing that they're limping or that they're complaining about their shoulder. It's because that's where the anger has set, the trauma has settled. Mm. That's so crazy. No, I, my mom taught me a really valuable lesson when I was younger. Um, I was probably like seven or eight at the time and I had two twin girls. I'm an only child. So a lot of my like playdates and stuff were people in the neighborhood. And I had two twins that lived or set of twins, two twins, a set of twins that lived across the street and they would come over. And I was the type of kid with Barbies, like the acting out the Barbies was never fun for me. It was like the organizing, like the clothes and like setting everything up was the fun part for me. And so I had this like jewelry case from Michael's and that's how I would organize all of the shoes, like so that they were in pairs and they had their own little compartment. And I had spent like hours you know, putting this together. Right. And uh, the twins came over and knocked over this, like this jewelry thing and with the shoes in it that I just spent hours doing. And I freaking lost it. Like I was so mad. It was like the, the biggest drama thing ever. And I was just angry, like so, so mad. And me and my mom had to go somewhere and I was in the, in the car and she was like, Oh, like, she asked me a question and I was, you know, seven or eight at the time. So super sassy and had attitude and um, just had my arms crossed and just like an angry little girl that day. And my mom, it, it had been hours since it happened. So my mom turned around and she was like, she's like, you know, you need to learn to let, to, to forgive. She's like, the more, it takes more energy for you to be angry and mad at them than it would for you to forgive. And that's just always stuck with me. Like, even now, which I think is part of the reason why I don't really get, I'm like, oh, like, do I really want to invest energy in getting upset and angry with this person? Is it really like, does it really matter that much to me? Um, Why I'm kind of like loose like that. But it also taught me like, I have to kind of let this anger go. Like I need to find a way to forgive myself and the other person for whatever transpired. And we could take that one step deeper from what we know about what you've already said, how you like organization and you like spreadsheets, that's critically important to who you are. And what happened was not about Barbie and the shoes. Of course, that makes you upset. What happened at a very deep, I value this level, they violated that value. Something that you valued is that organization, that worksheet type of thing, that spreadsheet type of thing, when you looked at how the cases were with the shoes all lined up and everything, that's just a visualization, uh, an actual physical manifestation of a spreadsheet. And so it's important to so intense. <laughs> so it's important to realize that when we cross somebody at that deep value level, they're going to get angry. Because it wasn't about the situation. Yes, it's upsetting that the shoes are messed up and that whatever. It's upsetting. But when someone gets to that point of that type of anger that goes on and on for a while, and you're kind of going, boy, this is out of, out of range, out of scale for what I think happened, because this is not about me. This is about the other person. And I'm kind of going, oh, my gosh. Somewhere, some line, a deep value line was crossed. Mm, I was just going to say, yeah, the times that I have gotten really, really angry have been because I've felt that a value, something that I believe is a value, was disrespected or 
crossed. I love Strength Finders, which is a book and it's also a process and assessment if people want to look it I up. Think I've read, I think I have that yeah. book. It's great. And one of the things they talk about are people who are high system, high process. And those people love checklists. They love to, to have everything step one, step two. They love to put things in spreadsheets. They love a system for everything. Um, recipes, they love recipes. And that's important to them. Awesome. We need those people in the world. They make fantastic engineers. They make, you want a surgeon who follows a, a spreadsheet. You know? <laughs> I would hope so. I want a surgeon to go, let's just wing it right here in the middle. Uh, you want a pilot who checks off his pilot checklist, like are the flaps up and, you know, is there fuel on board? So you want those system process people in our world. But then there are other people that I've met. And oftentimes, they're, I'd say they're more entrepreneurial but they're risk takers. And they're the kinds who say, let's jump into the pool. And they're ready to jump when the system and process person goes, but wait, there's no water in the pool. And so we need both kinds. And there's a, other types of people in this whole system, strength finders, grab it. It's a great book and you'll discover a lot about yourself and the people in your world. But just for this conversation here, what would happen if this high risk taker would come and just mess up your desk and say, oh, Susan, we don't need a plan. We're just going to spend $100 million on this great idea and go for it. Well, the system process person would be internally panicking at every vibrational level, not just at the obvious problem with that concept, but you, you, disvalued, you disvalued who they really are, that they can't move forward without a plan. Mm, that's so intense. This is like giving me a lot to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, no, because it's true. Like, I, I feel like I am very process driven, but I'm also like, I'd rather, for me, I'd rather take the jump into the pool and then develop a process. Does that make sense? Like, I'd rather try oh, something out and then go back and like, oh, how does this really work? Like, this is step one, step two, step three. Absolutely. Everybody has moments of being very risk-taking, and in certain contexts, they'll take risks. Maybe you've met people who you go same, they introduce another boyfriend, and you're going same man, different body. Well, that's, uh, a, that's <laughs> the process. Or mm -hmm. you've met but in work, they're an entrepreneur and they're taking risks all the time, you see. So it really depends on context to where, where our strengths come and go. Strength finders and other assessments like Myers-Briggs and the DISC, things like that, are interesting to give us markers, so trail markers, but they're not setting the path of what your life is going to be. You are always in command of that and able to change. So maybe we had brushed on anxiety a little bit. Maybe we say, oh, you know, for the past X number of years, I've lived with a lot of anxiety. What are some things that I can do? Because I don't want to be there anymore. And you might have some reasons. That's great. Whatever you're saying, this is just all self-talk. What are some things that I could do to change the course, to change the path? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where growth is. It's not about eliminating the anxiety. It's just about adding new tools to your toolbox. You, right. may want, you may want to have anxiety or anxious moments somewhere along the line. And you've always got them in your toolbox. 
You could just like cross that off in there. I'm an expert in that. I'm going to go try something else and be an expert in it now. Yeah, it's interesting because I think for me, anxiety teaches me or tells me what I shouldn't, what I, and I don't want to say should, but what I could be doing. So sometimes a lot of the times when I feel anxiety, especially now in business, it's like, okay, for example, yesterday I was pitching my services to a new client and I was so anxious the whole day. And I was like, I realized it was like 2 PM. I was like, I really need to get things done. Like I need to get things done because I'm just dwindling and dwelling in this anxiety. And so I finally just sent over everything over to this person. And then I felt so much better because it was like, I spent all this time mulling it over, like and dwelling in it. Like, what if he says no, what if this happened? Like all of these, like, what ifs, what if, what ifs. And it was just taking all of my mental energy and I was like, oh, I just need to get it, send it out and be done with it and do my part, like show up and do what I need to do. And then that's up to him, right? As soon as I send that contract over, what he, if he accepts it or not, it has nothing to do with me. Like I just showed up and did what I, what I needed to do on my end. Um, So that's the positive part about anxiety is it's a safety issue. What can I do to feel safe? And you but you, by telling yourself to take, I'm just going to take this step and send the contract, it is what it is, and it's no longer about me, then you, f- you were able to create your own safety in that moment. And that's the whole thing that we think of when we're either, whether it's an anxiety moment, a risk-taking moment, do I leap, in, you know, do I leap here or not? Is there a safety net over there? All of those questions that we ask ourselves are all come down to this idea of, am I safe and do I matter? Mm. Yeah, talk about because I wrote that down from our notes. Is it's creating safety for the other person by showing them that they matter and that you can't make anyone do or feel anything. This was was what I wrote down in my notes. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I remember that. Okay. <laughs> uh, but you know, we have to take it into context. I could absolutely say something very mean and hurtful right now to somebody. You know, I could just pop off the first terrible thing that entered my mind. So I can make people feel certain ways. Right. It's up to them on how they take it. Meaning whether they just go, that's not who I am. That's not me. But I also want to move through the world being mindful that many people have worthiness issues. Many people have self-esteem issues. Many people have been bullied and hurt. And I just can't go around popping off the first nasty thing that comes into my mind. So we ha- as we go through the world, how can I make people feel safer and how can I make people feel, feel they matter is the better question to be asking. But that's true. It's how they respond is what happens to them. I can't change that, whether they respond negatively or positively to what I said, because I can't know what goes on in their mind, in their past, what their triggers are. For, I mean, even if you know someone really, really well, I don't know, I have family members, I have a couple of siblings, and we get together, we're all adults now, we get together, and maybe we'll start reminiscing about our childhood. And when we're talking, you would think we grew up in three entirely different families. Hmm. And so sometimes when I'll make a joke about something that happened in the family that I th- still think is hysterical, one of my siblings responded absolutely like that was absolutely one of their worst memories. Oh, wow. I have to, you have to be careful. Like when you say, I'm, you know, I'm not responsible for how you feel. Well, 
yes and no. I mean, it's ultimately up to me how I feel. Right. And to, ch- and to change what's going on within me to either choose to react or not react to what just happened. But I also have to be mindful now that I know that this particular event isn't as hysterical as I thought it was to other people. So how do you show someone in a body language type way that like you talk about like saying that you're creating a safer space for them, for the, for the other person and showing them that they matter. So how do you actually do that? The first critical thing is listening without making any assumptions, noises, trying to go, ooh, 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 or internally even going, ooh, 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 what, is, what am I going to respond to this? Just truly listen in peace and quiet and trust that the right answer will come up when it's your turn to speak. So sitting there and honoring what they have to say is such a tremendous gift for people. It is so rare for someone just to listen. And sometimes listening is hard for people when they're sharing. So a couple of ideas. If it's difficult for you because of the eye contact, sit side by side. That's, you know, you can sit at 90 degrees so you don't have to make eye contact. When you're sitting across the table having tea from someone, it becomes a much more intense feeling because, uh, because of the eye contact is always about relationship. Whether it's a business con- a conference or a, a, a one-on-one, you know, sharing over a cup of tea con- uh, chat, eye contact, the amount of eye contact that you give someone is always about relationship. And so listening is critical. And so many people, when they've had someone who sat and listened to them, oh, I just adore her. And you'll, maybe I've been watching the situation and I go, the other person didn't say three words. How do they know they adore them? They didn't say three words. Mm. But it's because somebody gave them time and showed them that they matter just by listening to them. And listening also, you're breathing low and slow when you're listening. Because if you're breathing high and rapid, you can accelerate them into fight or flight. It's, breathing is contagious. So if you breathe low and slow, they'll breathe low and slow. Even if it's something that's hurt them badly, they'll calm down. If you breathe low and slow, they'll calm down. It's mm-hmm. contagious. It doesn't happen, you know, the minute you breathe low and slow, it takes a while for them to let the cortisol ex- escape their system, but they will, if you continue to breathe low and slow, they will shift. Interesting. So what you're really looking for is that shift in people. How can I get them to shift out of whatever has happened to them that is not ideal into yeah. a place where they're getting oxygen to their brain and they can think clearly? Yeah, I think that the listening without the internal or external um, response, like eager to respond. I mean, even like I am an eye roller. <laughs> like oh. I will sometimes roll my eyes if, and I don't even know that I'm doing it. Like people will be like, oh, you just rolled your eyes. And like, I didn't know that I did that. Um, eye rolling is about safety. Usually it means I don't feel safe to express what I'm feeling. Interesting. Yeah, that's usually what eye rolling is about. It, uh, sometimes it's about, oh my gosh, I don't believe this person is this mean, this stupid, this ignorant, whatever. You know, you'll always have a this is. Sometimes it means that, but it's about safety. All of a sudden, for whatever reason, something just happened in that relationship. Like you're going, oh my gosh. And you're rolling your eyes like, I can't believe this person is this 
politically diverse from me or something. It's a sa- typically a safety issue. You see it a lot in teenagers <laughs> when the mother or father is, you know, scold, scolding the teenager or whatever, and you get the eye roll back, and it's because they don't feel safe to, to say their point of view. Like, well, I missed curfew because I had a flat tire. They don't feel safe to say that. Mm. Interesting. I'm definitely not a teenager anymore. But yeah, usually it's like in a witty banter type of situation where like someone says something that I think is ridiculous or like off-putting and I'll just kind of like roll my eyes like are you kidding me like are you serious <laughs> like yeah. that's usually that's the, the context of the of the eye rolls exactly we're coming for a circle here to understanding the context over a period of time of what are people's natural non-verbals and yours some of yours is an eye roll mm-hmm. and a lot of your friends will go yeah that's just brief yeah yeah that's true I, I like people I've been told um that my facial expressions will be what tells them what I'm like thinking or how I'm feeling like I can't I feel like I'm not the type of person that can other than the this that, that those situations where someone's getting angry with me where I go stoic but like nine times out of ten like my facial expressions will really be the one to, to tell you what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling and if people close to you are really in tune with that they'll get it right away. Uh, we know that. So often when we get very close to someone, we don't even know where we're responding to their nonverbals. But we know, and we just automatically shift our behavior to recreate safety in, in close uh, personal relationships because we just know that every time that eyebrow raises, the, the next thing that normally follows is maybe a little confusion or they're looking in their mind trying to make sense of something. And then we, I've seen a lot of times where people are close and then the other person will see the eyebrow go up and then they'll begin to define what they just said. Interesting. That's so true. I definitely experienced that with my close relationships with friends and family. That's yeah, really they know that's just Brie. And when that ha- happens, this is what I need to do co- to correct the situation. Interesting. Yeah, that's really crazy to think about. I, that's why I'm so interested in like body language and how that works because um, I'm just really interested in like how to always like I think body, body language ultimately is communication, right? Absolutely. And I'm always interested on like how to better communicate because I think that's like <laughs> the basis of all of our problems, no matter in relationships, business, politics, anything is just boils down to communication. Right. And we were talking in the positive about the eye, eyebrow going up, but it can also be in the negative and be aware of what your, pat- your personal patterns are in responding to people. Let's do the situation of when the eyebrow goes up, it means anger is about to happen. And so then I adjust my behavior based on that person's eyebrow to begin walking and talking on eggshells. So you can see that it's not just always in the positive. Right. Oh, totally. When I realized that about myself, that, gosh, I'm always walking and talking on eggshells in this situation, then that's up to you. Am I going to stay? Am I going to, you know, what, what are my choices here? What, what do I want to happen? And that's the critical part that I think people forget about body language is keep asking yourself the question of how am I responding? What is my responsibility to myself? or others that I'm responsible for, like maybe you have kids or whatever, you know, 
other people in your world you're responsible for? And yeah. that's, those are some critically deep questions that, you know. It's- <laughs> so where can people find you? Oh, SharonSailor.com. My last name is spelled S-A-Y-L-E-R. And I have a great little gift over there. If you just want to go to SharonSailor.com forward slash gift. And you'll get a great little ebook about um, seven different things that you might be doing that could be killing your career or putting people off or just some great insights, seven great insights about some of the common things I see people do that uh, don't allow them to succeed. And you also you also have books, correct? Absolutely. I have uh, all sorts of books over there. One of the favorites, and if you're into body language, like we've been talking about today, just the perennial favorite is called What Your Body Says and How to Master the Message. And it's available either on my website, SharonSailor.com, or on you know, all the stores online have it. Uh, yeah, I Amazon. really want to grab a copy because it looked really interesting. In the back, I have a bunch of cheat sheets too so if you've been intrigued by what we're talking about you can also find in the back that I don't know 12 15 cheat sheets that give you little recipes that if you're in this situation like maybe you have to give bad news there's one there but how do I give bad news in a good way Hmm. so I have a lot of cheat sheets in the back of that book too yeah when I was in recruiting the like my least favorite thing was to deliver bad news, especially like if the candidate didn't get, a, get, didn't get a job or when I worked in HR, I had to be in the room when they were firing someone. <laughs> and it was just, yes. oh God, I'm a, I'm a laugher. When I'm uncomfortable in the situations, I start, like I make, I just am really awkward and start laughing. Um, <laughs> that's like not a good, a good trait at all. Um, so that would be super helpful for someone like me. But if you notice about a laugh, if you notice anyone in the audience knows that they have a nervous laugh, that's what we call that. Uh-huh. It's actually a forced exhale. It's a way to get your body is actually forcing you to exhale, which then relieves the excess cortisol and causes you to breathe, inhale, breathe in more oxygen. So that the body is actually beautifully taking care of itself during this laugh. Yeah. And all you have to do is train yourself to do other ways. Like, okay, Laughing in this situation, other people don't see that as productive or beneficial. They're not seeing the value that it's a forced exhale in this situation. So maybe I should find other things that allow me to do a forced exhale, like forcing my own exhale. Right. That causes my body to have the same physical response of lowering the cortisol and getting oxygen to my brain. And we can actually train ourselves not to do certain behaviors like the nervous laugh when we yeah. understand the physiology, the reason by why the body does that. See, that's really interesting that you, I was going to say funny, but it's not funny. <laughs> See, here we go again. Um, is is the, just even the mere fact of understanding that it's an exhale. Like now if I'm ever in that situation, which I hope I'm never in that situation again of having to fire someone, which it might happen. I don't know. Um, is- well, sometimes you have to fire friends and boyfriends and doctors and oh, that's true. See, see your CPA. I mean, sometimes you have to say things that make you nervous. I like the idea of firing boyfriends. I think I'm gonna sure. coin that. I'm gonna coin that. I'm gonna steal that term from you. Um, but now, now that I know it's just a forced exhale, then now I'll be more conscious and mindful of that when I'm in those situations and I want to laugh. I'm like, oh, maybe I should just exhale instead. And you might catch yourself as 
we talked about this earlier, but just a reminder, you might catch yourself with just a little giggle like, oh, nope, exhale. Okay. Yeah. So it's okay. It's just a matter of catching yourself quicker and quicker until the point where your body extinguishes the behavior. Interesting. Well, thank you so much, Sharon, for being on. It's been great fun. I really appreciate it.